0: So, I'm so excited to welcome uh, Professor Cheryl Anderson, or to be involved in conversation with Professor Cheryl Anderson of Garrett Evangelical Seminary. Um, Cheryl Anderson is a pastor, lawyer, and scholar, and professor of Old Testament at Garrett. And she brings a whole wealth of different kinds of um, expertise to this conversation, in addition to um, advanced study of the Hebrew Bible, Professor Anderson is a lawyer and has done work on legal theory, intersectional identities, and um, womanist interpretation, including a revised version of her dissertation published in 2004 entitled, "Woman, Ideology, and Violence, Critical Theory, and the Construction of Gender. Uh, And then a 2009 book published with Oxford University Press, Ancient Laws and Contemporary Controversies, the need for inclusive biblical interpretation, and Professor Anderson is currently in the process of preparing for publication a uh, book, tentatively titled right now, "Crying Out to the Lord: Womanist Reflections on Biblical Interpretation in the Era of HIV/AIDS." So I'm really happy to have you join me here to talk some about, particularly your more recent work and. Uh, you're on crying out to the Lord, and I'm interested in hearing more about what took you into this topic, uh, and, uh, and how this relates to some of the earlier work that you did.
1: Right. Oh, uh, thank you. I'm, I'm glad to be here. And, uh, the, it's a great question to start with because, um, I, grew up in Africa. My dad was in the diplomatic circles. And so um, I have always had African friends. And when I went into um, biblical studies, I continued that pattern of having African friends. And um, there were some women who talked about a conference in Ethiopia about 15, 16 years ago. And they said, It's on HIV and gender. And you can come if you write a paper on your context, Mm -hmm. the United States. So I went and I did do a paper on HIV in the U.S. context. And I was just shocked that at that time there was very little discussion about that, about the fact that we were disproportionately impacted by HIV. And as I did work with congregations, I realized that we were reading the Bible in ways that didn't allow allow us to really engage the pandemic. We didn't talk about sex. We didn't talk about what it meant to talk about a male head of household when Black men are disproportionately incarcerated. I mean, there was, there was just a whole list of things that we didn't talk about, and yet we were living through them and those dynamics increased our vulnerability to the virus. So from that, I ended up over a number of years spending time with colleagues, primarily in South Africa, who were looking at reading the Bible in the context of HIV and what that meant. And there was really little comparable work being done here in the U.S., even though we were also disproportionately impacted. So I started really thinking through how you work with biblical texts following my colleague's lead there. Uh, because they've done the best work in the world on this. And um, the the way that I started to do that was to look at texts that would help us read the Bible differently. That's basically what it was. And the Song of Songs article um, was just a good one to start with. Um, Actually, it was one of the earliest ones I did. Because it takes sex, it bring, it it raises the topic of sex. And what I found really interesting is that it's a case where the biblical literalists would read this text metaphorically and I had to argue no 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 we really need to read this text literally so so it was a good example of reading against the grain or against the tradition because it's like no let's let's really take it for what it is Uh, um a section talking about sex so um I I then had to look at um what especially feminist scholars had said. And there, Phyllis Tribble's work was really very helpful to me with her concept of love lyrics having been lost in Genesis 2 and 3, which unfortunately is the dominant paradigm. And then love lyrics redeemed in the Song of Songs. And so that contrast was the basis for then looking at the Song of Songs differently and applying it to the African-American context.
0: Um, Thank you. Can you talk a little bit more about um, how for you this, you you highlight in your title, a womanist reading of the Song of Songs in the Age of AIDS, at least in one of the two publications of that piece. Mm Um, can you talk more about how you understand womanism and it's linked to what you do in that article?
1: Mm-hmm. Um, for me, the term womanist allows me to acknowledge gender, race. It says something also about my paying attention to issues of class and it also means looking at things, not just on an individual level, but looking at things systemically, looking, also looking at things historically. Um, in the, the Song of Songs article, I only look at it in terms of the contemporary context, but in other articles, I've looked at it even historically. What has that meant? What does our history mean for reading the Bible? And certainly, what does our contemporary context mean for reading the Bible? So I think um, if I had to come up with one word to describe what a womanist interpretation would be, I would use the word intersectionality the Kimberly Crenshaw uh, topic where what you're doing is looking at at multiple dynamics and you're realizing that any one person has a a multitude of identities and issues that impact their lives. And uh, many of them are beyond their control. but, But part of a womanist analysis is looking at what those dynamics are.
0: Yeah, I think uh, that kind of intersectional analysis seems ever more important in mm-hmm. our day and age. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just all too easy to isolate mm-hmm. uh, just one thing and then pit different groups against each other in ways that are really deeply problematic. And right. so this yeah. work is so important.
1: Yeah, the inter the concept of intersectionality is that everyone has that. <laughs> everyone has these multiple positions in our, our sort of, social you know universe, and so it helps us all become aware of of how we 're positioned in it and the ways in which we can be privileged and the ways in which we can sort of be disadvantaged by systems but it's it's very rarely all one or all the other it 's always going to be a mix, and we just need to be able to be um, one, more aware of it, and then two, be able to articulate it. I think that's what's really helpful about using intersectional um, uh, themes is that you're then able to actually have language for the, this moving dynamic that occurs.
0: I want to turn soon to some more general advice you might have to give students as they embark on study of the Hebrew Bible Old Testament. But before I do, I I think it would be really useful for people to hear more about your tentative title for your forthcoming book, um, Crying Out to the Lord, Womanist Reflections on Biblical Interpretation in the Era of HIV-AIDS. Um, I think you mentioned to me in an earlier conversation that that crying out to the Lord word has that phrase has particular significance to you and could you talk a little more about that
1: right yes it it it, you know as as is so well known that that language uh comes from uh the beginning of the exodus story and the exodus story is so important for people of african descent in this country um but What I found when I was doing work on HIV is that we were disproportionately impacted by this disease, but I didn't think that we were crying out about it enough. (laughs) So, So for me, I wanted us to be in the streets about the fact that we were disproportionately impacted by it, because it has to do with a lot of systemic inequities that make us more vulnerable. To disease, and that's that's basically what it is. And yet, given the kind of traditional theological uh, underpinnings of of the black church broadly, um, we were not equipped to express that these these kinds of inequalities, and we tended to fall back on. Individualistic explanations. Well, you are HIV positive because you sinned, and and I. Whenever someone would say that to me, and I'd now think about it. <laughs> of all the people you know, <laughs> are you really sure that the only people who sin are the people who have HIV? And people would laugh because they realized, yeah, that that obviously doesn't make sense. And in Sub-Saharan Africa, it was really, really not true because all too many faithful wives were being infected by their husbands who were having affairs outside of the marriage. So the theology falls apart. But there was really nothing to replace it. And so there were still um, this sort of biblical emphasis on the traditional roles for men and women and the man is the head of the household. But what do you do in a community that ha- is, has our men disproportionately incarcerated and unfortunately, increasingly, our women as well? So it meant that you had to really work with rereading these texts. But how do you do it with a community that's very traditional? And so that that was the task, and and that's the task of the articles that I'll have in in this volume. Um, and I wanted it to be womanist reflections, um, to I guess in a way to incite us to be to to cry out to the Lord, but. Um, I I wanted to be able to do that same kind of intersectional analysis about race, gender, class, um, and relate it to the multitude of issues that I had to come, had to discuss, um, or that we as communities need to discuss in the era of HIV. Um, uh, Reproductive justice, violence against women, of course, the LGBTQ plus inclusion, um, you know, just down the line poverty, you know, what do you do? What do you, you know, what do you do with um, a minimum wage that you in most of our cities can't afford to live in on on a minimum wage? So, so those kinds of things are just all part of what I want to do. And I'm really struck by the founders of the Black Lives uh, movement who talked about it, the term uh, being a love letter to Black people. And that's kind of what I want that book to do to, to say, look, we, we are, we're told that we do something wrong, and that's why we're disproportionately impacted. In fact, here are these other dynamics that are going on. And one of the ways to begin to get at that is for us to recognize that we need to read the Bible differently it's not easy, but we need to read the Bible
0: differently. Yeah. That's, thank you so much. That, that really leads well. And I think into my last question where I'm going to combine a couple things that uh, we talked about this, this video will be available to my students and also hopefully to some others. And you as a seasoned and experienced professor of old Testament, have worked with lots of students with divert different kinds of, Intersexual identities, and so I wanted to close by asking you um, to just if you could offer some mentoring some advice to students as they embark on this process of engaging academic study of the Bible amidst a situation where, as you write in your 2009 book and elsewhere. Certain perspectives have been lifted up as supposedly objective and other ones have been excluded and marginalized. Um, Are there certain kinds of things that these students should keep in mind as they move forward uh, in this work? Um, Yeah,
1: another great question. Um, the, The last time I taught the Intro to Hebrew Bible course Uh, I started off the class by asking them, well, first I I explained to them that in the African American tradition, uh, you would ask someone, who are your people? You know, and the idea is that you have a community, you have a place that is home of people who claim you and you claim them. And so I explained that. And then I asked each student in the class to go around, say their names, and to tell us Who were their people? And as this whole exercise went through, you know, 20, 30 people, I then said, I want you to always remember that you should never interpret the Bible in any way, shape, or form that would harm your people. Whoever these people are that you claim and who claim you, don't ever read the Bible in a way that would hurt them. Because far too often the Bible is used to hurt people. And what I would want them from any class um, taught by any professor is to use what they learn in ways that can help their communities and um, to help them see that the Bible can be read differently. Uh, Students learn a lot of really scary stuff. (laughs) in the intro course, (laughs) but um, I would hope that they understand that it's a way of retooling. It's a way that will help them use the Bible in more constructive and less harmful ways. Actually, there, there are two principles that I find really very helpful. And recently, I've been doing more work on LGBTQ plus inclusion. And, um, and and there, and it's actually helped me reshape how I'm working with the Bible. And they're, they're just two principles that that I that I think I'd like to mention now because I'm going to really start using these even more in, in my intro class. And one is the concept of inner biblical warrant. And, and, and I think that one of the worst understandings of the Bible is that there's no contradiction in the Bible, because there's lots. <laughs> Number one, and then it means that people want to dismiss it if they come across it. But what I would like with the concept of inner biblical warrant is that people would see that it is a word that is changing as the context of the people of God changed. So that there is a dynamic that's going on, um, uh, you know, over and there there are many issues about that where, where these documents are in conversation with one another, where they're overturning something that was said earlier. But that to me is the beauty of the Bible. And that that is what I, I'd like to communicate to students and to communities is that it's a dynamic tradition. And that the Bible itself gives us permission to reinterpret and to adapt it to later situations. And then the final thing I want to mention, I actually heard this from a, a rabbi, and I realized it was just brilliant, and it's it's a text in Deuteronomy 23, and again, I like laws, and so, <laughs> so that, what it, it was actually a text that I hadn't been aware of before I heard a rabbi talk about it, but it's really kind of strange, because it talks about um, if you're in a camp, and um, there'll be times when you'll go out, well, when you go out, have an area, and you take a trowel, and after you've relieved yourself, you take the trowel and cover up your excrement. And I heard this rabbi talk about this text, and he said that it meant that there's no area of our lives where God is not involved. Where God, that it, there is no area beyond God's concern for human beings and and so i i really love that but what i realize is that there's also an important biblical interpretation principle there and that is that we aren't asked to do what's literally <laughs> Bible. We aren't being asked. I mean, to be a Christian today, to me, doesn't mean going out with a trowel and covering up my excrement on the beach. I mean, we have you know laws against doing that kind of thing now. But what it does mean is that it gives us a sense of the kinds of things we have to encounter as people of faith. It, it tells us what we'll encounter as people of faith, but not how to do it. How we do it will change depending on the context and the circumstances and the issues of, of people of faith um, at that time. So I, I think I I think my 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 final word of advice would be to you know to think of those kinds of principles as they encounter all of this new information in a graduate level biblical studies course. But then um, Always remember that if you are a person of faith and you have a sense of the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit is continuing to work. The work of the Holy Spirit didn't end with the last books written. The Holy Spirit continues and is with us as we're interpreting these texts for the people of God today. So that's it. (laughs)
0: Thank you very much. That's a wonderful note to end on. And, uh, and I really appreciate, again, you taking this time to talk with us. And I hope folks check out your work, both already published and forthcoming. Right. Uh, and uh, we'll say farewell right now.
1: Okay. Thank you so much, David.